everyone. Welcome to Zon in Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. So this is a podcast that focuses on the connections between anime and Canadian media. Joining me on this episode is someone who has worked in that area in the past in terms of adapting anime for the North American market through Ocean Studios or just like the, 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 the old school uh, Canadian dubbing institutions. It's Michelle Clough. Uh, Michelle, could you uh, give a quick introduction to yourself? Hi there. Uh, yeah, my name is Michelle Clough. Uh, I used to be a localization editor slash writer slash um, sort of that type of thing for Ocean Studios, as Jesse said. Uh, I got to work on uh, several titles, some of which you may have heard of, like um, Death Note, uh, Sion Koku, uh, Maya Tome. Uh, I did the, uh, I think I did either the dub or the subtitle for the Gundam Zero Zero movie, uh, and a couple of other titles that are, uh, escaping me at the moment. Um, you, you, you did, you did Pretty Cure. And, yes. And, yes. uh, you did a Tokusatsu Spider-Man, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, there's, there's a story there. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say that, that, like, I sort of started off in doing, uh, anime dubs, like doing the, the scripts for, for, uh, dubbed anime, and then sort of midway through I started transitioning into doing more subtitling, uh, and so yeah, I did the, the Tokusatsu, uh, the Tokusatsu Spider-Man for, uh, what was it, like, it was like a lot of episodes of that, it was something like a hundred episodes or whatever. I, um, I think they, they translated the whole thing. I, uh, I admittedly didn't double check that. But, yeah, it, yeah, it was a lot of episodes. Yeah, they they did they did the whole thing, and I think I subtitled um, a couple of other shows as well. Uh, I uh, I think I did the one of the Maya Tome OAVs, uh, and then uh, from there I actually that actually transitioned me uh, when I sort of you know ended up moving on a little bit. I ended up getting into closed captioning, um, which I did for several years with a company called Line Twenty One, uh, which is very much sort of you know subtitling, but more for you know. Uh, uh, hearing impaired uh, and on for, for TV. Uh, but all during that, I was also like, man, I really want to do video games, guys. I really like writing video games. So I started doing that sort of freelance on the side. Uh, and now it is my full-time job, or I guess full-time freelancing. Uh, I actually am now uh, a partner with a company called Tail Spinners, which is a Outsourcing studio for uh, game writing, narrative design, and story services for uh, video games. So basically, companies could come to us, be like, "Hi, we need writing for our video game," uh, and then they hire us, and uh, we do that. So, uh, so I'm still it very strongly in the geek sphere. Um, just have unfortunately had to fo- refocus my attentions a little bit away from anime and onto video games because uh, there's only so many geeky hours in the day. Um, but I still, I still have. Like love for anime, and uh, so I was really happy to get to come on and talk about it. Yeah, you just uh, you you just cashed all of your geek points into the gaming section rather than the anime section. Yeah, exactly. I decided to respec, and you know, it's it's just like I tried to min max, and then like no, no, no. no." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's the only way to manage it sometimes. Um, So we're we're gonna you know do a little bit of an uh, an interview uh, just about your work in the past. Before we jump into that, there's a couple of uh, new items I just wanted to to cover quickly. Uh, so, Michelle, I think uh, you you know this already, but uh, we're recording this on August 29th, uh, and 
Well, I mean, this this news story was, of course, overshadowed by the horrible tragedy of uh, Chadwick Boseman uh, yes. passing <laughs> passing yeah. away last night, or the announcement he had passed away last night, which was um, utterly shocking and just completely arrested all of social media. And mm. man, uh, it, it brought this bummer of 2020 to uh, an entirely different level for sure. And I, yeah. I kind of just don't even know what to say about that one. Um, before that happened, though, uh, my the thing I was focusing on, or I was more focused on, was the fact that yesterday was the 25th anniversary of Sailor Moon's North American debut, which was on YTV on uh, Monday, August 28th, 1995. Now, I, I would argue that Sailor Moon was probably, to this day, has probably still had more of a cultural impact in Canada than any other anime except maybe Pokemon. Pokemon is like its own thing. So the only ones I can think of that would come close would be, as you say, Pokemon and maybe Dragon Ball Z, um, which, but, but I, it's, to a certain extent, I'm sort of like, please, please don't fight. You can all be the best anime. Um, I always say that if you, if you just exclude Pokemon, which again is just a weird worldwide phenomenon, which is Kind of its own thing. I'd say the top three are generally Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z, or Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, and Inuyasha. Um, but Sailor Moon is de- was definitely, or the, yes. the start of the epoch in Canada. Yes. Famously, it took off a few years here before it did in the United States, mainly because it had a good, consistent time slot on YTV, whereas it kind of floundered until it found its way on Toonami in about mm-hmm. 1999 in the U.S., and it, uh, you know, exploded into... Various things like, uh, like you know, those weird stage shows they had in in Ontario, which I I only learned about uh, much later because of course I don't live in well we don't live in Ontario. Yeah, it was weird big cultural phenomenon. Uh, and I'm curious. I know you're you're a few years older than me. Did you did you uh, were you watching Sailor Moon at that time? Did oh. you discover it on TV or? Absolutely. Yeah. I was like the big, like this giant Sailor Moon fan. And even though I was probably a little bit older than its um target audience, I was like, I, I, I don't think I started watching exactly from like from episode one, because at first I just, you know, I, I saw it on those paper TV guides we got yeah. at the time. And I was like, Sailor Moon, what on earth is that? And funnily enough, I remember the moment that I went from yeah, I don't care to, I need to see this immediately, was, like, they had some commercial for, like, the dolls on TV, and then it showed, like, clips from the show, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's anime on TV! Because yeah. I was actually already into anime at the time. I had actually... Yeah, that's uh, what I was wondering. Were you were you already an anime fan, or kind of in the fandom or discovering it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I don't remember exactly what initially got me into anime. To be honest, I think it might have been that I was interested in JRPGs at the time. Mm, See, you yeah. know, the video game and the anime thing it's all connected they they, um, they tried so hard to suppress the uh the anime-ness in, in jrpgs but they failed they, yeah. they failed it still broke through so so i i i do definitely remember the very first anime that i was into that i was aware was an anime was rama one half um and i think actually that might have even come about because like there was like a rama one half video game that came out yeah. uh around that time uh, for the super nintendo and it wasn't very good at all but it had such a cool art style to it that i'm like man this is really cool i want to learn more about uh you know like this show and then i started becoming more and more aware of like anime as like you know a 
concept and as a, a, a medium. And I think the very first like anime movie or Ranma movie I watched was uh, the it was it was actually the movie Big Trouble in Nakan on China. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I need to immediately watch more of this stuff. Um, and yeah, so I'd actually already been into um, anime for several uh, for I think several years by that point. I, I was into uh, Ranma. I'd watched Tenshi. Um, I, I don't remember exactly like what other stuff because like I, I I could give you a big list of all the anime like that I ended up watching when I was a teenager because God there was a hell of a lot but I I admit that in my my forty year old brain at this point doesn't remember like wait did I get into like did I watch Akira before Sailor Moon or after Sailor Moon man I don't remember um but so uh, p- point being though that that was one of those things where up until that point anime was the sort of thing that I had to make a special trip to what was it, Sunrise videos or like or, or HFV videos, like there were specific video stores in Vancouver and only in Vancouver that you could go into and get like the VHS copies of like the dub of Ranma. Um, and it was part of what was actually making me like make all these like pilgrimages to like Vancouver, like because I was living in Kamloops at the time and I was always coming to Vancouver like I got to go buy more anime. It would have been um, like at that time HMV Music World. I don't think yeah. they, I, there, there weren't any Sunrise records in, uh, no, in Canada. I think, I think it was a little before or the Virgin Mega Store. Yeah, I yeah. I think I I think I had to like go to I went to Sunrise or something like I went on a trip down to Washington State oh, yeah, or something yeah. and was like, "Oh my god, they have actual anime here." So, I was so used to this idea of anime being this niche thing that was like you had to go into a, you know, a, spe- a specific store and find like tapes on the shelves and there I am watching YTV and the Sailor Moon doll commercial comes up and I'm like, "Wait a second, that's anime." I need to watch this show immediately. And uh, I, uh, the first episode I watched was, I think the the episode like one or two after Sailor Mars joins the team. So it was sort of like, it was that initial arc where it's just Sailor Moon, Mercury and, and Mars. And I was like, I'm hooked. And yeah, as I said, approaching 40 and I'm pretty much still hooked. <laughs> I didn't catch it right from the beginning either. I heard, I heard friends, friends were telling me about it. And they had very strange descriptions of what what they had seen. Um, they they did indicate that it was uh, Japanese or anime, and I at that point I knew what it was. I was I was nine, but I had seen the Anti Gravity Room, so it had uh, I I was prepared to to know where it was from where it was from and what it was. Um, so and yeah, I think I, I think I jumped in. I think the first episode I saw was the one where where Jedi had his own radio show. I, I'm, oh, pretty, right. I'm pretty sure that was the first episode I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I I definitely loved it from the start. I uh, I, I kind of fell out of it after the initial 65 episode run. Um, mm. But yeah, obviously, yeah, honestly, Sailor Moon. Uh, yeah, de- de- definitely a, a strong legacy with that one. And uh, it is very appropriate that earlier this week it was also confirmed that. At long last, the new the the Viz uncut Sailor Moon dub is finally going to be streaming in Canada. Uh, about you know like f- four or five years too late. Uh, I think I think they started adding that thing to Hulu in like twenty twenty sixteen. Um, mm-hmm. But of course that's made it a, a U.S. exclusive. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's coming to Crave, and it's going to be the the English dub. They have all five seasons, and I have been in contact with Crave, and I, I have a few details about it. Awesome. So, so it will be the dub. Uh, as far as I know, they do not have the subtitled version. Uh, you can see that on Tubi, of course. 
Uh, but uh, it's in an unusual situation where the the rights between the subtitled version are split. Um, and the sub version is on Tubi. The dubbed version will be on Crave. This will mark the first time that the dub will be available streaming in Canada before you, you either had to buy it digital download to own or buy the, the DVDs and Blu-rays of it. So this is the first time you can see it streaming. So this is something that I, I just found out. This is the first time that a stream has been announced for the Sailor Stars dub. Um, oh, that, that one is not on Hulu uh, in the U.S. yet. Now, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it pops up on Hulu either before or on September 18th, which is the launch date uh, for Sailor Moon on Crave. But still, we're, we're, we're not, at least that's one season we're at least not seriously lagging on in terms of mm-hmm. getting through, uh, through Crave. Um, Sailor Moon, it will be on the basic tier of Crave, uh, the... The lowest tier would... I've got Crave, but only just because I was trying uh, foolishly to watch the last season of uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, and, and you still got that? You still got the subscription going from that? Yeah, because I'm lazy uh, and I yeah, forgot to turn it off. That's what they're <laughs> counting on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's well, the... that and the fact I keep needing to catch up on all the Star Trek stuff, like oh, yeah. Star Discovery and stuff. It's the um, destination for that right now. Uh, even though we have CBS All Access in Canada, uh, it's all, all 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 the Star Trek stuff is on Crave. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's not it's nine ninety nine for the basic tier. Okay, of Crave, and that's that's all yeah. you need to watch uh, to watch Sailor Moon. Um, I have to admit, I didn't even realize that there that that stars had a dub. Like I, I I confess, I was one of those obnoxious fans who like you know once we got through as you say that first fifty six episode arc, I I went fan subs and didn't look back. And so even when they did start like releasing the rest of it in dub, I remember like turning it on, being like, oh my god, they changed all the actors. Yeah. No, it sucks, and this isn't who I would cast for Hotaru and blah blah blah. So uh, I was one of the I was one of those fans. It was horrible. Um, well, they, <laughs> so they they didn't dub star uh, Sailor Star back then um but this is all the new the new la dub that's been oh, produced by by viz media so that old that old deke and cloverway dub it's it's gone <laughs> basically at least um my understanding is that uh either toei or naoko takeuchi probably naoko takeuchi uh does not want that version released uh so oh. i think as long as she's alive we're probably not going to see an official release of that um that that Deke or, or Cloverway dub, uh, which a lot of people seem to be disappointed about. I you know I I guess I understand the nostalgia, but I, I don't know. I I think it's more valuable to have like the the uncut version available. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I di- I will say I did really like the some of the voice actors that they 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 got a good cast for the dub oh, for yeah. Sailor Moon. Um, and it 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 hit like. I don't know, like, I initially liked it, then I got very kind of, you know, dub purist and being like, no, they changed it, and then I actually started working in dubs, and then I'm like, oh, that's why they changed it, um, and now I'm kind of come full circle to be like, yeah, actually, as far as dubs go, like, yeah, it has its, like, crappy moments, but it, but so does every dub, and it has some moments that, like, really, really um, shined, and I, I, I liked, I liked, um, Oh, I've forgotten. Like there was, there were like three actresses they got for Serena, and I really like kind of the middle one. Um, Carrie Hawks. Yeah, 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 she's 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 almost basically everyone's favorite for Sailor Moon. She was very good. But the uh, see the the key argument that people always make between those two dubs is that in the original Deke dub, even though it's you know heavily altered, you got you know changed music in the Deke episodes. They cut about Mm -hmm. ten episodes purely just for pacing. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, including Sailor, 
Sailor Venus's origin episode, which yeah, I, that's, I, that's a decision I do not understand to this day. That was a, yeah. I can't believe they did yeah. that. Uh, and, you know, obviously changing genders and, and relationships yeah, and, and things that, like that, which is the, the thing people always hyper fixate on. Um, but the, the key argument in favor of that dub has always been that the voices for the characters are incredibly distinct. You can close your eyes and yeah. you can identify which character is speaking. Um, in the new dub, now it's not that the characters don't sound distinct, but they're kind of voice actors you hear in all sorts of other dubs and other mm-hmm. L.A. voice acting productions. You know, there's a, there's a sameness to them. It's not that they all sound the same, but it's just like you've heard these voices elsewhere. They right. and, they're, and they're not really bringing a unique performance uh, in Sailor Moon. Mm-hmm. So the, the the end result is, I think, technically a better dub, but yeah. again, it's less distinct, a little less memorable. Um, nonetheless, I uh, I think it's just important that the dub is out there. I think it's great that it's actually on Crave and not Tubi, because mm-hmm. Tubi is free and, tech, and technically more accessible than Crave. But the problem is no one knows what Tubi is. This is literally the first I've heard of Tubi. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I tell, I've told people all the time that, you know, even people who are complaining that they can't watch Sailor Moon in Canada, it's on Tubi, and they never know, they've never heard of Tubi before. I think I, I think I did know about Tubi before Sailor Moon was announced for the service, but I didn't care about Tubi before Sailor Moon was announced for the service. I think only people who were fixating on that news even knew that the subtitled version was added there. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because Tubi's, I don't want to praise it too much because it's actually owned by Fox now. Um, mm-hmm. But for an ad-based service, it's it's pretty well done. They even splice the commercials right between the eye catch perfectly almost every time, which wow. is, um, yeah, I know. Like, we shouldn't be impressed by that, yet I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, <Yes>. it's, like, <laughs> it's like, congratulations, you, you know, like, here yeah. was the minimum bar, and you cleared it. Good job. <laughs> and it's so weird because, like, I mean, you look at Hulu, which is entirely ad-based, but they could never find a way to make their business model work outside of the United States. And yet Tubi is you know, mainly in North America, but in other countries around the world, and they have made that ad-based model work, even before they were owned by Fox, which I find puzzling, and it really shows how shitty Tubi or uh, shitty Hulu actually is, um, just in terms of how they, ru- how they run that business. But yeah, the, the key thing is that people are far more familiar with Crave. Uh, definitely, I think older, more casual audiences are definitely more likely to have Crave. Again, mm-hmm. probably because they were watching Game of Thrones or something like that and never bothered to get rid of the subscription. And there's enough stuff popping up in it that keeps them that keeps their subscription going. Mm-hmm. But it's it's good that the dub's on there because it means it's going to be a it's more appealing to casual audiences who, you know, yeah. may have watched Sailor Moon back in the day and just never bothered to seek it out since it ended. And now they're like, oh, the the show's here, and there's that fifth season that they never showed on YTV. May, I uh, may, may as well jump into that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's you know, it makes it more accessible for some people with disabilities. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think may, maybe most importantly, it, it makes it a lot easier for parents to show with their kids too. I I was just gonna say that because yeah. I actually um uh I I have a friend of mine uh who you might actually remember from from uh, Anime Club Logan uh who like you know he um uh you know he and and uh, his wife have uh kids mm-hmm. and they're like you know they've they've gone through their sort of paw they're going through Paw Patrol phases and and Nihau Kailin phases but like and then one day I come over to like game and and they're like so um. We showed 
like our, our daughter a little bit of like, you know, Sailor Moon and she seemed to really like it. Would you would you like, you know, if if when she, if she shows like more interest, would you mind like being her guide in the world of Sailor Moon? And I was like, crack knuckles. All right. I got this. <laughs> so. So, yeah, like, as you say, like at, at the moment, I don't think that because I think one of the questions was like, how do we watch Sailor Moon? And I'm like, good question. Yeah. You either have somebody who has the DVDs, which I've got like I have like S, but I don't have like. I think at that point I didn't have like original and R um, or you uh, be in America um, or you have a VPN. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the fact of that they can, um, you know, that they can have that access is great. The only thing is, of course, I don't think they have Crave. So uh, I mean, that's going to be an interesting thing that like everybody now, uh, you know, is kind of, there's there's the streaming wars in terms of like okay i've got netflix and i've got disney plus do i really need to get crave now or i've got crave and netflix do i bother with disney plus um so it'll be interesting to see you know is sailor moon enough of a draw that people like my friends will be like yep sure we'll we'll sign up for crave as well as like all the other streaming stuff i i guess there's the question of whether people who want to see sailor moon will subscribe to crave for it or people who already have crave will yeah. be interested in watching sailor moon um yeah. i think that's kind of the key thing and i i think the more important element will act, might actually be the people who already have crave just stumbling on it yes there. um I, yeah actually I, I have a silly question and this just shows like how kind of out of the loop i've been as far as like anime goes um because i i don't have a crunchyroll account i keep meaning to get one i thought the crunchyroll had sailor moon on uh their service or am no. i misremembering no they definitely don't oh okay yeah i think they had they had mentioned on social media before that mm-hmm. they wanted to try and get the Canadian rights for it, but this wouldn't play ball. Or that's that's oh, what they insinuated. Right. Yeah. Okay, that that explains why. Because I was just like, I could have sworn I remember seeing a tweet somewhere back in the mists of time about like Sailor Moon on Crunchyroll. Because you know that's obviously like you know one place where like, hey, do you like anime? Here it is all in one place. But um. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um. Yeah. It'll be it'll be interesting to see, uh, as you say, like how many you know how many people will be current Crave users that stumble into it versus how many people will be like, oh my god, at last I can have my Sailor Moon fix, uh, and and uh, sign up for Crave versus, as you say, how many people will just be like, wait, did you say Two B? Two B is free. Why don't I go get that and 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 watch? Uh, was it the subtitled version? Yeah. Sub su- subtitled version is on Tubi right now. You can go watch the whole thing. Nice. Uh, Tubi's on like every platform too, so yes, it's, uh, it's I will have quite to, accessible. I will have to get an a- account for that because yeah, as no, you, I don't, said, you don't even I, need an account. You can just you can just oh, watch. fantastic, yeah, awesome, yeah. They they do have the whole thing there. Um, actually, Crunchyroll does have the Sailor Moon R movie. Uh, that's uh, one thing that they do have on there, but not <laughs> any of the series or anything else. Yeah. Man, um, I'm a dinosaur. I just remember being like, remember those days when we used to be able to buy box sets of entire seasons of anime? Like, what happened to that? Oh, they I got, mean, like, super expensive. and yeah. I mean, there's still lots of that, but there's <laughs> also lots of shows that aren't getting, uh, that aren't getting releases at all anymore. Uh, even, mm-hmm. even, like, some, some stuff like Crunchyroll licenses just doesn't get released on disc. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it all depends, like, wh- who, who's sort of in the consortium of companies that, that purchases it, or if, uh, another company is able to get the home video rights, or one company sitting on the home video rights. It's, uh, it can be pretty frustrating sometimes. Yeah. 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 Um, At least actually, like, because I remember there was at one point a box set of, like, the entire Sailor Moon series, but, like, I didn't buy it at the time because it was ridiculously expensive, and now yeah. I'm sort of like, is that even still in print? 
Take some yeah, research after this. <laughs> oh, that yeah, I think you're. That's the the old ADV set. That's definitely long gone. Um, mm. the new the new sets are much better. Uh, even though there were some weird video quality problems, uh, I think with the first two seasons that Viz put out. Uh, I, I'm, I haven't bought any of them personally. I'm, I'm kind of waiting till they do like full season re-releases rather than the, um, than the, the 10 volume release they have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, hoping that maybe they'll do something a little, a little better quality next time. Um, uh, but you know what is expensive, uh, kind of going back to what we were saying before, uh, the, I think most of the Deke dub, the original Deke dub did get released on DVD. Um, mm-hmm. those are expensive. You can get like the first couple of volumes at a reasonable price, but after that it shoots up astronomically. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, uh, yeah, there, there is demand for that, that old classic dub for sure. And mm-hmm. of course there's going to be a fair share of people who are going to find Sailor Moon on Crave and think, oh, this isn't the dub I remember as a child. Uh, <laughs> it's ruined forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some jarring things like when you hear Luna's voice for the first time, um, you definitely you definitely know you're watching a different version because they, uh, yeah. they take a different approach with that character, which I think is a more accurate approach, but obviously yeah. obviously not what you remember. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to the same yeah, I, I do remember having that moment of sort of like you know being used to uh, the, the basically the sort of the Angela Lansbury-ish voice, and then actually seeing the Sailor Moon S movie and being like. That is not the that is not the human form I yeah. would have attached to that voice. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the strongest arguments for not going with that voice, actually, even <laughs> though the movie's not uh, not canon or anything. But um, but yeah, uh, another important thing is that Sailor Moon is kind of the first serious anime ac- acquisition that Crave mm-hmm. has made as well. Up until now, they had like a couple movies uh, mm-hmm. that. You know, they have Ghost in the Shell, which was probably just picked up as a, a part of an existing licensing package. And they have the, the Dragon Ball Z Broly, uh, Broly movie for some reason. Uh, mm. But this is like the first time they have picked up a full series directly from an anime distributor. And that's mm-hmm. really good because mm-hmm. when you have a long series like that, that is something that's really going to be able to communicate to them how uh, how how much... Um, viewership uh mm. anime can draw in which is something i don't think they really have have seen through that service before um, yeah and uh and as for you know obviously a big hope is because so much viz stuff is still hulu exclusive which means that you can't watch in canada at all uh mo- like most of inuyasha including inuyasha the final act is all still hulu exclusive never streamed mm-hmm. in canada except for the first two seasons uh, Ranma One Half, another title that's completely Hulu exclusive. There's a couple other titles they have that um, just aren't available here for whatever reason. And uh, I, I don't know if Sailor Moon's success is gonna, or if Sailor Moon is successful, if it's gonna lead to them looking into more of that stuff. I definitely really hope that it does. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, obviously, the, I think the real success of Sailor Moon is gonna depend on people finding it there. But you know, spread the word for sure. Yeah. Let people know that it's coming to the service. Uh, I think. I think. A lot of positive buzz about that right near the beginning could help a lot, especially since Crave. Sure. The thing about Crave, it doesn't have algorithms like, say, Netflix does. So mm-hmm. the most visibility it's going to have is when it's listed on, as a new release for like the first two or three weeks, mm-hmm. uh, and then after that, it's all going to depend on how how Crave decides to classify it into their into their weird categories. Um, oh, uh, one other important thing is that. Uh, Sailor Moon was actually licensed through WoW Unlimited. 
WoW Unlimited was the company that resulted after the merger of Rainmaker and Frederator Studios. The initiative for WoW Unlimited as like a Canadian company is is headlined by uh, not only Michael Hirsch, who was like the former head of Nelvana and, and Teletoon, but also Fred Sabert, who has had a very long history with uh, with Viacom and, and Cartoon Network and different companies in the United States. Originally, their plan was to launch WoW as like a kids channel, mm-hmm. uh, like a TV channel in Canada. And apparently they're still trying to do that. I don't know if that's ever going to happen at this point. I'm not even, even going to speculate on that. But they have a partnership with Bell Media uh, for obtaining oh, okay. like, youth content for for Crave. And they're the ones who licensed it. It's I believe it's going to be uploaded onto the service under their WoW World uh brand uh don't quote me on that i don't i don't know what's actually going to happen in the end but that that is how that acquisition came to be so what that company does might uh, might also factor into any future mm-hmm. acquisitions that happen but again we yeah. got to wait and see hopefully hopefully sailor moon does well hopefully it has some mm-hmm. traction uh i mean it's it's sailor moon i uh yes <laughs> if, if, if after the legacy that sailor moon has built here over 25 years it can't uh you know, bring in a substantial audience on a, on a streaming service. I think that that it will be very disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I still think though that like that that Sailor Moon fan base is still like is still there and it's still so strong. And actually, um, funnily enough, the the like my recent experience with it is, uh, as you may know, uh, the the makeup brand ColourPop did like a Sailor Moon collaboration of like Sailor Moon branded makeup. Um, and I've been trying to like I've been trying to get like the eighty dollar like you know pack of everything. Yeah. You cannot like it's just basically they sort of say like about once a month they're just kind of like yeah guys we've got like you know another another like shipment you know that you could buy it and blah 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 and like it's gonna go live at 10 a.m and i'm like there at like 10.05 it's already sold out so i'm just like that to me says something very strong about the sailor moon brand and sailor moon fans like because like to be fair i actually don't even know like the age of the the people who are buying that sailor moon makeup like are they new fans are they old fans i suspect it's a bit of both um i think it's it's mostly older fans that a lot of the merchandise is geared towards now Mm -hmm. um actually in the in the previous episode when we were doing the the retrospective on pretty cure we were talking about how when they were developing pretty cure from the ground up Mm -hmm. which is obviously very similar to sailor moon um one thing that they uh that that influenced the direction they took with the project was that sailor moon is considered something that you can't really make anymore at least not as a kid's property in -hmm. japan which is why you know sailor moon crystal the recent remake, and I, I should, also I should note that uh, just in case it wasn't clear, Sailor Moon Crystal is not uh, part of the Crave package. It's just the five seasons mm-hmm. of the original series. Um, I mean, Sailor Moon Crystal is targeted at adults. It is mm-hmm. targeted at older fans, and all the merchandise that is tied into it is like expensive jewelry and things like that. Uh, yeah, de- definitely for people who are in their you know twenties, thirties, or forties even. Um, so that's. Uh, that that's kind of the basis of that of the whole franchise right now. There there was an interesting video I, I saw that was making the rounds on YouTube about maybe maybe could put it into context. I think I, I found it to be pretty interesting about how it was by like that that Japanese guy Yuda who's a YouTuber and he mm-hmm. talked about how the language that the characters the, the type of Japanese that the characters speak in Sailor Moon is a very outdated stereotypically feminine way of talking that you mm. you don't hear anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Um, or at least if you hear it, it's not as predominant as it was in media back at that time. So right. I, I think the, at least in Japan, the kind of cultural attitude of something like Sailor Moon has kind of shifted in a in a weird way. But that has definitely influenced the way that it's marketed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and yeah. I guess it's kind of interesting to see how that spread outside of Japan, too, especially with yeah. those kinds of situations like you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, you're right, because like now I think like whenever I see Sailor Moon merchandise, it's always like pretty expensive and it's never like you don't see much of the way of like toys or anything like that you know like when sailor moon first came out on on ytv yeah it was all like you know like the moon cycle uh, yeah the moon cycle exactly <laughs> and there were like action figures and there were like you know cheap plastic uh you know like uh, brooches and things like that um and well now we still have those brooches and the and the moon wand and all that stuff but now they're ridiculously expensive <laughs> um and uh and yeah as you say like we've got more jewelry we've got makeup um i think there definitely is that sort of perception that you know the the people who were really in love with the original series are now adults they now have well i was going to say they now have money but um let's face it we're all broke (laughs) Um, but you know like but there's that idea of like you know we're not just like the kids with the you know pocket money anymore we're the adults that are giving the pocket money and yeah and in some cases probably they're turning around and and getting an entirely new generation into uh either the old school uh anime or or sailor moon crystal um and i I was actually thinking when when we were talking about like the acquisition process and and like will crave pick up more anime series and i'm like you know i'd be really interested to to see how it goes because you sort of think about it as like well by this this time by this age the people who are making those decisions might actually be old school anime fans like they were the ones who were watching sailor moon or dragon ball z so like is that going to influence them as well that sort of feeling of okay i know that i'm supposed to be like you know, marketing person by the numbers, but God damn it, I really love like Dragon Ball and Sailor Moon and I want them back all on Crave I mean, now. <laughs> so, so much of the proliferation of anime and mainstream media is waiting for someone who was a fan to just be in the right position to be able to push something in the right way, which, uh, unfortunately just doesn't seem to happen very often in Canada, which I think is, has been, uh, a big part of what's been holding it back, holding anime back for like broadcast and, um, you know, being on major Canadian streaming platforms like Crave. And I think it's important to have that anime in general is on a Canadian platform like mm-hmm. Crave as well, because then it just kind of diversifies the way media, I think, media is approached in this country, which I, I think is important. I think that's very important. But yeah, enough about that. Let's uh, let's get the interview portion of this going. Sure. So, Michelle, most of the work you did uh, was uh, doing script adaptation. So can you uh can you kind of describe what this what this role entails? Yeah, so uh script adaptation. So like a lot of people when I told them like I was working, you know, on on dub, they sort of assumed like I was doing um the translation. Uh and I wasn't. My Japanese is like intermediate at best. Um but the problem is that a lot of the times when you translate something uh literally uh from uh Japanese to English or really like any language any language you're always going to get like kind of weird sort of phrasing like so for example the one i always liked was i, I don't remember which script it was in but it was like the the term in Japanese shikariste means if you literally uh translate it it's like please endure this you know please yeah. endure this hardship you're going through and the thing is like nobody would say that in in English like we just we just wouldn't um we would say something like hang in there um, so that was 
one part of my job that it was basically like somebody else would translate it and it would have all these kind of weird, you know, awkward bits here and there that I would have to then like smooth out and make and basically rewrite it to make it sound like, you know, this like the script was always in English. This is this is like just, you know, that it would sound natural. The other part, of course, of it was that I had to map, match the lip movements. And that was actually like a huge chunk of it where it'd be mm-hmm. like, OK, you know, you you'd have like, uh, you know, and I. The the one key thing, if I remember, because sorry, it's been a few years since I've done this, was that like you had to sort of have it so that when, you know, that they would start talking when their lips opened and stop talking when their lips like stopped moving. Um, you could be a little bit more like flexible in the middle, um, but generally you wanted it to, you know, you, you wanted to obviously avoid uh, the live action kind of, you know, Godzilla dub effect, you know, in, in animation. Um, so you not only had to rewrite, I not only had to rewrite the scripts for uh, the sort of the natural English speech, but also to match what the lip movement was doing. And yeah, sometimes that was difficult because it would be like, you know, their, their lip would go flap, 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 flap. And then like the translation would be yes. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So then you have to take that and you have to be something like, you're right. The, the, you know, like, and then I have to like add in some extra, you know, fluff almost to so sort you, of match lip movement. So you, you have the video and you're like going back and like watching scenes over and over again and trying to mouth, mouth dialogue over what you're seeing. Or would you, would you have to do things like that to, to try and nail yes. down that timing? Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. So I'd have like, uh, you know, I, and I, and I remember I didn't exactly have like, a super professional program for it either. Like mm-hmm. now I'm sort of like, my God, why didn't I have something where I could scrub the audio? Um, but, uh, the, uh, you know, I had like, you know, the video up in one, like, you know, they would give me like at the time burnt CDs that were sort of like the, the, um, the video of the show I was doing. Uh, and I would sort of pop them on my computer and I'd have them, uh, the video open in one window and the word document open in another. Um, and I'd write out, you know, whatever I wanted to try, then I'd sort of like rewind a little bit and go and yeah, try and deliver the line, say, nope, that's way too long. Go back, rewrite it, try it again. Nope, now it's way too short. Uh, you know, do it again. So yeah, it, it, it was very interesting because one of the thing, one of the, um, one of the recommendations they always make to writers, particularly screenplay writers and video game writers is, you know, read your dialogue aloud so that you can see whether it sounds uh, natural or mm-hmm. not. I will admit that doesn't always work because when I, man, when I was doing that, when I was doing that job specifically, there was like, I was so focused on getting like the lip movement thing that, yeah, I'll, I'll, I will freely admit occasionally I would go back and be like, why did I write that line? It's so awkward. Um, but I was so focused on getting that lip movement, uh, that I, that I, uh, I somewhat goofed. So yeah, I had to basically spend a lot of time, you know, writing a, writing a line, uh, you know, re- reading it out, trying to act it out, of course, because obviously, like, the actor would be, you know, reading it out. Um, it sometimes helped if I, like, knew who the actor was going to be for a part, because then I could kind of, like, oh, this is, you know, this is so-and-so, I kind of know what their voice, you know, Kirby Morrow, I kind of know what his voice sounds like, I'll, you know, I'll imagine it in my head, yeah, yeah, that, that'll, like, you know, if he, if he does it at this, this speed, it'll be fine. It was a very um, acting heavy uh, job because, yeah, there was a lot of um, reading out and having to repeat lines over and over and over again to just double check that, like, they worked. (laughs) And did you have any trouble when it came to handling things like puns or or cultural, really, really specific cultural references that came up in scripts? Oh, how, how did you deal? How did you 
uh, find yourself dealing with with uh, with things like that. So, you know, so, for example, puns almost universally were like are really difficult to deal with because they're so language. They're so specific to the language that they are originally written in. Um, and you you sort of almost have to, you know, part of localization is, you know, the, the kind of it's not always a case of I want to get this as close to the original script as possible. Sometimes it's more, I want to get this close to the original sentiment as possible, the original meaning and the original like intent of it. So usually if it was something like a pun, um, I would basically look at it and I'd say uh, like, okay, you know, what is the pun riffing off of? Is there like, is it just a pun in which case any pun will do? Or is it a pun that relates to the to the plot line, in which case I need to work backwards from there um, and uh, sort of go from there? I'm, I'm trying to actually think of like a specific example. And unfortunately, of course, I'm blanking um, to use a non anime example. It would be like if I was local. It would be like if somebody was localizing, uh, you know, Game of Thrones and realizing, OK, uh, Hodor has this name that is not a pun, but it's like related to this specific phrase he says later on. But that phrase is, you know, in English, but that phrase isn't going to be in English. It's going to be in, you know, Spanish or French or whatever. I need to come up with what the equivalent phrase in, you know, French would be. And then I've got to work out what his name is in French based on that. Um, I don't think that's what they did, but that's what they're technically supposed to do. <laughs> uh, so I was doing a lot of that, basically trying to work out, okay, what was the point of this pun? What was the joke they were trying to get across? Um, and can I kind of reverse engineer it for English for like doing uh, an equivalent pun um uh, with a, with maybe a different structure. And yeah, sometimes it can end up a bit tortured. Other times it works perfectly fine. Things like visual cultural elements were, were tough. And I, I'll freely admit that, uh, I occasionally was dinged a little bit for certain projects where I was like, I was so trying to, to, to honor and keep accurate to the original Japanese that they were kind of like, no, this is going to be on, you know, broadcast TV. You, you should like loosen it up and make it more accessible to a, a mainstream audience. Um, so like, you know, for example, I, I remember like, I think at one point they had onigiri, um, on screen, you know, the, uh, the rice balls. Um, and I, I think I, my initial first draft, I think I called them rice balls and they were like, yeah, no, you know, you could, you could make an argument that like, you, you know, we want it to be accessible. We want like, you know, like mainstream kids to be, you know, recognizing themselves in this. You could make it something like donuts or something like that. So, um, and I did do a little bit of that for, for, uh, a couple shows for, for Pretty Cure actually. Um, yeah, we, we, in the Pretty Cure episode, we, we uh we were we were amused by some of the uh, the food the food adaptation choices. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's yeah. part of the I actually that that also um I was curious how much freedom did you have to make calls on translation? Did you find? I think it to a certain extent depended it did depend on the series. So like for example, something like you know, Death Note. Uh that I feel like the sort of the the you know, the it was pretty strict about what I could and could not change. Um, and to be honest, that was a show where I probably wasn't like, that was one where, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to change anything anyway. Pretty Cure, a series like Pretty Cure, which was really the only one I did that, you know, had like really broad changes. Um, I think there was, 
there was more f- there was more freedom to make my own decisions about what I would use, but there was a a, a kind of a much stricter mandate of like we want w- like we know what what we want the final effect of your changes to be. Nail that, uh, and whatever you have to do to get us there, do yeah. that thing. Um, and uh, didn't always hit it, but you know that was that was just you know sort of working out the 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 right balance. Um, you know, whereas something with like Death Note, I sort of feel like that was more. Well, I mean, to a certain extent, that was very much just kind of like, hey, we've got this anime in front of us. We're not going to, you know, tweak it very much. Just make sure it's still Death Note. And I'm like, cool, I can do that. <laughs> I know with with Death Note you did the, you, it was the second half that you did mean yes correct because yes. I I don't know if you even remember this but obviously Death Note was very uh was the uh, the source of many memes at that time <laughs> and the whole um you know light light getting his Death Note back and and saying just as planned was one and the the fan translations always used just as planned uh, when he yes. summarized his uh uh summarized his scheme after getting his memories back uh whereas in the both the viz manga and in the anime it was uh translated as exactly as planned which is i think actually more accurate to what he said Mm -hmm. in japanese but um again it's not it's not what the meme was um Mm -hmm. i mean i you're the person i thought i I guess but i thought the meme was all according to keikaku That that's the that's the extra level of the meme that came after. Uh, which, that, that is the better joke for sure. Shakeaku <laughs> means yeah, plan. That part of the meme is commenting on you know the big deal people make about the distinction between just as planned and exactly as planned, and it's, yes. just, it's just it's just people being attached to the translation. But I don't know did 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 any of that kind of stuff influence the final decisions you made on some lines? Quite honestly, no. Um, so I, I, I liked Death Note, but I wasn't like deep into the Death Note fandom okay, yeah. and, uh, at that time. Um, and in fact, to be honest, even if I had been, I probably would have actually to a certain extent tried to unpin myself a bit just to try and remain, I guess, to a certain extent neutral. That's um, entirely reasonable. <laughs> yeah. But so, so, so the truth is, I, yeah, no, I was not heavily like, well, the other thing was that around that point, I had kind of given up the, uh, the, the fan subs and stuff because to a certain extent, it's like, oh, wait, I'm now working professionally in the industry uh and this is kind of you know now technically like mid to late 2000s which is just kind of kind of right before the transition into um streaming so it was a yeah. an awkward time for that kind of thing yeah, yeah. and i yeah I, d- I actually had a, a pretty uh an interesting awkward story where i was like i literally think the words hoist by my own petard came out of my word in my, my mouth about fan subs uh, um but uh for but uh, to answer for death note no i was not aware of specific phrases that the fans uh uh adored and and wanted uh i apologize for any fans that are just like you you you, you this is your fault um i can I, guarantee I, you nobody cares anymore <laughs> That's good, yeah. Um, so yeah, I as I said, I I wasn't deeply into the Death Note fandom. It, like it was a show that I liked, but you know, I was I was more down the I was more down the f- like video game fandom at that point. Um, and uh, the, funnily enough, when you were talking about memes, though, the one that still haunts me to this day is the last episode. I very innocently, very honestly, took the actual translation and had Light yell the phrase. 
uh, this is a trap or, or it's a, it's a trap. And the next thing oh, I know, <laughs> the next thing I knew it was, uh, it was Admiral Akbar from pillar to post. And I'm just like, no, no, that was like, I legitimately meant that phrase. Like that is actually what he's saying. It makes sense in context. God damn it. Internet stop. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, uh, I, I genuinely did not put in the, it's a trap, uh, with the Admiral Akbar thing in mind. It was only when it went live that I was like, Oh, Oh no. Oh no. What have I done? <laughs> if it's, if it's any consolation, I actually don't remember that at all. So yeah. there yeah. was some, there was some other line I remember that people were memeing from the last episode. I don't remember what it was, but the, the it's a trap one was definitely like a big one. And I was just like, but it's, it's tough. Cause like, you know, you think about that. It's like, yeah, but in context of the episode, it makes complete 100% sense why he would say it's a trap, you know? And, and, and you know, it's sort of weird that we take some, like, I, I totally understand it because I do it all the time, but it's interesting how we'll take a genuinely, like, you know, innocent phrase and be like, no, 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 this, this phrase is now meme territory and anybody who says it is going to summon Admiral Akbar. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess I should have thought of that before I did that, but yeah. I didn't think of it at the time. I was just like, hey, it's a trap. <laughs> and, and it's weird because now that memes have been like, or internet memes have been a thing for like more than two decades, um, it's hard to tell how that kind of thing is going to age, whether mm-hmm. intentional or unintentional, or how things that you did years ago will transform depending on how uh, how, how pop culture nomenclature uh, changes. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 Part of me is just sort of like, how much was Admiral Akbar a meme at that point? Like, cause you know, I didn't, I didn't spend much time on actually, hang on. Now I'm thinking like, was Twitter even around back then? I don't remember. So yeah, it, that's actually, that's really actually fun. this was right before Twitter launched, I think. At this right. Point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yep. That's uh, but yeah, you're right that, that some of these things are going to like, some of these things are going to age poorly. Some of them are going to age well, and some of them are going to come back in ways you never even expected. Like I keep on expecting how, you know, one day to like, you know, turn on Twitter and like suddenly just this one random dub clip of, of death note will be used as some like the new meme hotness that everybody's using to describe 2020 or something um so yeah um it's funny i i was thinking about the like the justice plan versus exactly as planned and like this goes back into that kind of you know trying to make things sound not just uh natural but also to a certain extent to uh either to match the lip movement or in some cases to fill not exactly dead space but like just as planned is a much kind of like in terms of just getting it out and saying it is a lot shorter and snappier than exactly as planned. And if I recall, I I think that was a scene where there wasn't actually lip movement involved, but it was sort of like this moment yeah. that, that sort of got held on. I think it was the bit where like it's like holding on Light's face while he's got this, you know, triumphant expression and saying this. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, it's going to be this moment you want to draw out a little bit. And so as a result, you're going to use slightly drawn out, like, you know, language. Yeah, to the, say e- it. The, the extra syllables uh, help a lot with the pacing of the dialogue. So, yes, yeah, it makes yes. sense. Yeah, yeah. Pa- yeah pacing is absolutely um, I, I didn't really go into that before, but like pacing was also definitely like a big part of what I had to do as part of my job, because, of course, sometimes like 
if the lip movement is flap, 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 then it's like, okay, on the one hand, you sort of want to match that, that diction, but at the same time, you don't want an actor to have to be like, yes, that's really what happened here, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, you have to try and, like, structure it in a way that, like, keeps the keeps the right pacing with the story keeps the right pacing with the lip movement keeps the right pacing for the actor so that their performance isn't wonky um yeah it was it was it was it was fun but it was tough are are there any adaptation choices you made in a script that you're particularly proud of oh wow um yeah I feel like there's this part of me that's sort of thinking there must be some in Death Note, but for some bizarre reason, I am completely blanking, um, partly because I have the memory of a sieve and I'm like, what the, what did I do again? Um, I will say also, um, part of the problem, uh, with, uh, doing this work is that, um, just because I handed in the quote unquote final draft of the script does not necessarily mean that actually got recorded um because so sometimes the um if i recall i think there were a few times when it was like okay the client will now get a a chance to look at this script and they will make adjustments um and then the other thing is that quite often um scripts get adjusted in the recording studio because you know maybe i messed up the timing or or the actor isn't quite getting the timing right and so the director would actually like on the spot be like could we ch-, you know like let's change this to blah 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 so the result is that you know do like a year later i sit down and i watch an anime and i that i did and i see that like wow there's this really good line and i'm like did i say that did I, did I write that? I don't remember, I don't remember writing anything that amazing. You know, did, did, did I write that? No, it must this, have been added by somebody else. This, this work is kind of ephemeral in a way. Yeah, it, it is. And yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, that, that happens with, you know, quite a lot of, um, you know, creative media that, uh, you know, particularly screenwriting, localization editing, video game writing that like there will be many people that like get their hands on it. Um, I, I, funnily enough, I think one of the things I was kind of proud of, uh, which unfortunately I don't think made it to the final version was I, I really liked the rewrite I did of Misa song in, oh God, I don't remember what the episode number was. The, the, there's the song she sings kind of at the midpoint of Death Note. Um, and I slaved over my version of the song for like forever and I was really happy with it. They didn't end up going with it. They wrote their own. Um, and it was good, but like, uh, you know, in fact, who knows? It probably was, may have been better, but I still am kind of like, man, I was very proud of work I did on that. And, and, you know, so now I kind of want to see if I can dig up that file again and see what the heck I wrote. Yeah. I'm afraid I can't like remember specifically, specifically got off the top of my head, a, an adapt, an adaptation moment that I was specifically proud about, partly because I guess the feeling is that, um, at least for a lot of the anime I was working on, um, the point of a good adaptation is to almost feel invisible. Like as in, no, 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 it was always this way. You've perfectly captured exactly what the original, um, what the original, uh, 
Japanese or the original series was trying to accomplish. So I guess a lot of the moments that I I sort of feel proud of would be more like, wow, the, the you know the Japanese had this really cool line and it was really difficult to get it into like the lip flap, but I managed it. I feel awesome. <laughs> um, so yeah, sorry I can't I can't be more specific. I could definitely think of a couple lines where I'm like when I saw it later I was just like, oh no, what did I do? <laughs> Do you remember those ones? If you if you uh, if you would like to share, yeah, actually, there's there's one. Um, uh, it was a line from L. I'm, I don't remember the exact line, but I kind of remember the general like gist of it. Um, where I, I I again, this was one of those cases where like you you cannot keep too closely to the Japanese uh, because it, like or l- l- let me rephrase, let me try that again. Um, a lot of people think that an ideal translation or an ideal localization is to render the Japanese as exactly as possible. Um, and if they're just talking about the sentiment, yes. If they're talking about the wording or the exact translation, no. And an example of this was there was a line from L, um, which I don't remember what the exact Japanese translation was, but mine was very, but my rendition of it was very close. And it was something like, we need, um, oh God, what was it? We need a clear understanding of the situation quickly. And it, and like, it, it sort of looked fine on paper, matched the lip flap, and it gets across what I was trying to, to, you know, get. But when I actually saw it in, the actual final version, I was just like, that's not what an actual, like, we wouldn't say that. Like, and, and I don't even think L would say that. Like, I, I, I think I kind of in my head was like, oh, well, L's really kind of wordy anyway. Sure, he would say it. But then when it actually went live, I was like, no, no, what have I done? I'm, I'm terrible at this. Um, because yeah, it, like, it, you know, now I sort of think like probably the, the, uh, like I, I uh, need to obviously sit and like you know brainstorm a bunch of ideas, but you know rewriting it to be something like um, we don't understand, you know maybe something like I don't know um, uh, we don't understand this situation that needs to change quickly or or I don't know it's not like I need to go back and like you know check the context, but something that felt a little bit more um, you know natural sounding as opposed to this very kind of stilted. This is exactly what the Japanese said, and this is Michelle wanting to be a good translate, a good localization person, and sticking really close to the Japanese. And this is now Michelle in her forties, being like, "Oh my God, I was an idiot." <laughs> actually, no, I was, I was actually thinking I was an idiot before I, like, as I said, when I saw it go live, and I was just like, "Oh no, I shouldn't have written that." Um, there were a few moments like that. So uh, if, so to, to your fans, if there are any moments like that in death note that you're sort of like, man, that's a really awkward way of saying that. Believe me. I know <laughs> it tortures me on a daily basis. <laughs> and if you found any translations in death note, you find particularly infuriating, just, uh, just send them to zon in Canada at gmail.com and I'll read them on the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, <laughs> my, my ancient shame. <laughs> Uh, what they don't tell you is even when you become like a writer and you've been doing this for a long time, it's like, man, there's still stuff I write for video games that I'm just like, I swear to God at this time, it sounded like a brilliant idea of what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> um, because of course, like, you know, with these things, you're on deadline, uh, you're working on them like all the time. And to a certain extent, like, you know, you, you get, um, 
it's not that you get lazy, not at all. It's that you just get so embroiled in doing this over and over and over again that you sort of start losing a bit of objectivity. And like, cause, and this is why you generally need a separate editor to look at your work because, you know, by the time you've written, you know, by the time you've written this awkward line, you've been doing this for hours and hours and hours and you're just like, it sounds amazing. <laughs> um, and so having that other person to be like, no, it doesn't. Please go back and try again. Um, or even just the ability for yourself to come back like a month later and be like, oh, oh, that that didn't quite work out. Um, so uh, so, yeah, it's it is it is what it is. Um, but I I I was pretty happy um, in general with the adaptation of of Death Note. And of obviously part of it was just the amazing cast. They had such a good cast. Um, but, um, you know, even with the occasional, oh, that phrase was awkward. I was, I was pretty happy with the, the, the final version. So, um, it's trap and all. <laughs> uh, how, how did you first get into this work? Uh, just doing the contract work for, for Ocean Studios. Was it, was it, was it just luck or, uh, did, did work you were doing before kind of lead you into it? Uh, it was pretty much luck and being like knowing, happening to know the right people. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) When I say the right people, I don't mean in the sense of I, you know, I, I had a deep connection with Ocean Studios and they got me in. Sorry, everyone, you're going to have to deal with the shortened story of my life for a bit. Uh, so as Jesse knows, like when, when I was at UBC, I was, um, in the anime club. Um, I was president of the anime club. And so as a result, I kind of like knew several people from like the anime community in uh, Vancouver at that time, including uh, the guy who was the head of, I want to say, anime evolution. Um, I forgot, I forgot which of the cons, but it was like, it, it was either anime evolution or it was the SFU uh, uh, anime club. Anyway, somebody who was kind of in that ecosystem. Uh, so we, you know, knew each other by, by name and sort of said, Hey, on occasion when we met at events, um, graduated, went off to Japan, taught English for two years, came back, had the usual thing of, ah, crap, I've got to actually find work now. Um, I ended up going to VCon, uh, which is one of the sci-fi conventions in Vancouver. And I bumped into him at, uh, he had like a booth of, you know, for anime evolution or whatever. Um, and we, Got to chatting and I mentioned like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, back from Japan looking for work. And he mentioned, oh, Ocean Studios is actually hiring right now. And I'm like, well, really? Um, you know, because I knew Ocean Studios like I because I, you know, grown up on Ranma and like a lot of their stuff. So I'm like, whoa, whoa, this is like big. Oh, tell me more. So um, he emailed me a uh, like he emailed me like the, like the Craigslist ad because I think of that or whatever the equivalent of the Craigslist ad was, because if I recall, they were not advertising as Ocean Studios. They were like they they'd kept their name like it was just, you know, media company looking for production coordinator. Um, and so I'm like cool i i you know i'm in there so i i sent them an application kind of letting them know like yeah i know that you guys are ocean studios and i'm like a big big fan um which you know in hindsight was probably a bad idea because that was probably why they were trying to keep their names on the download anyway (laughs) um so uh they you know and i've been to japan and and you know like uh, which was something that interested them because i think they did say in their like familiarity with japanese media and i'm like boy howdy am i familiar um so i went there and i had an interview for a production coordinator meeting and 
the interview was going well, but it was kind of clear that like, oh, wait, production coordinator, that's like, that's the person that keeps things organized. If you've known me for five minutes, you will know that organization and I are not bedfellows at all. Like, I am the least organized person on the face of the planet. So I was just like, okay, I really would love to get this job, but I suspect I'm not going to get it. So I, and I remember I, you know, interview wrapped up was, you know, very polite, very nice. And I kind of walked out thinking, well, I'm probably not going to get that, but hey, I got an interview at Ocean Studios. That's great. And just as I was walking away, the door opened and someone popped out and was like, hey, do you actually, are you parked anywhere? Like, do you have anywhere to go? Do you have like another couple of minutes? And I'm like, sure. And they said, well, um, you know, we, you, like, you might be a better fit for one of our writer positions. Uh, do you want to come? <laughs> Do you want to come in and have an interview about that? I'm like, boy, howdy, do I want to come in and have an hour interview with that? Uh, and I came in and actually had an interview with like the, the, the head like director or creative director. Um, and apparently said the right things. Cause the next thing I knew they were like, um, I, th- I think they may have made me do a writing test. I don't remember. It's, it's been a while. Um, yeah, no, that's right. They did make me do a writing test that I had to take home and sort of say, like, this took me X amount of hours and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, yeah, they came back and said, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, we've got work for you. Start working on my Atome. Um, and so, yeah, I, I worked on that and I basically was in their ecosystem for, um, for several years. I really, uh, and, and when I say I was in their ecosystem, I don't mean in the sense of like, and then there was a terrible fallout. It was just more, we came to a point where they were like, we're really sorry. We don't have any work for you at the moment. Um, at which point I had to be like, that's great. Wonderful. I'm sorry. I need to go find, you know, other work to pay the bills. Um, but you know, they, it was, it was, it was good. So yeah, that was, that was how I got in there. So, uh, it was to a certain extent knowing the right person, but not in the sense of someone at the company, but more someone who knew that they were hiring and was able to point me in the right direction. Um, so, so, uh, thank you to Edward if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that, uh, and as I said, that it also definitely helped that I had, um, not just a knowledge of, you know, that I had just come back from Japan, that I had a bit of familiarity with Japanese culture. Also that I had at least a little bit of Japanese, um, not enough to do translation, but enough so that when I saw a translation, um, I could kind of be like, okay, I think I know what the, like, I think I know what the original was, or even I think there were one or two cases where there was translation. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure what they meant was, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, it like, not, certainly not enough to like do, like the translator was amazing, but there were definitely times when having that little bit of extra knowledge allowed me to contextualize things properly. Um, like, oh, they're using Kago. This must be super duper polite. You know? mm. When your time ended doing this kind of work, was it, I, I know you, you transitioned into doing closed captioning work after, was it, uh, but I, I this was, Kind of coin. This would have coincided about the time that um, doing anime work at Ocean Studios was declining. Uh, mm. th- did that have anything to do with your transition, or was it just kind of a natural job progression for you? I, I, I think a little bit of column A and column B. Like I do definitely remember a few times having you know chats with um, the the uh, the boss there, and sort of being like, "Do you have any work for me?" and her kind of saying, I'm really sorry, but we don't have any anime right now. We're doing other stuff. And I and I, I had to keep saying, 
you know, hey, I'm flexible just because I'm an anime fan doesn't mean I'm not open to doing other things. Um, and to be fair, it might have had nothing to do with that. It might have just been like, yeah, but we've got other people. Because, um, like, I wasn't I wasn't their senior writer or anything. Uh, I was kind of, I guess, by that point, about, like, maybe mid-range mm-hmm. mid on the totem pole. But, you know, we were all freelancers. We weren't... Um, we weren't employees. Um, uh, so I, I think there was certainly an element of uh, anime work falling off. And as a result, there being less work for me. Um, they were super nice about it. Like I want to stress, they were like, they were really good. Um, as I said, I don't know whether I, I do worry sometimes whether because I was such a big anime fan that they were like, Michelle won't want to do anything else. You know, she like, we know what anime fans are like. They're like anime all the time. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm totally okay with doing other things. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, cause I, cause I was, um, they, they did, I, I remember, you know, when I had that interview, they did actually say like, yeah, we actually don't usually seek out, um, fans just because of course it can be difficult for fans to be objective. And to be fair, that was totally true because like there, you know, there were definitely times when I'm like, but this is the wrong translation. I wouldn't do it this way. Um, and, uh, you know, basically, uh, being that fan. Um, but, uh, it, it, as I said, they were, they were super, they were super good to me. And I'm like, like to a certain extent, you know, there's still a part of me that's like, man, I wish I could could have continued working uh, for them. But there was like just generally uh, less work, and as a result, I kind of had to, um, you know, not actively move on, but basically get booked up with other things. Um, and as you say, so uh, the the closed captioning thing did though come about to a certain extent, um, very much from my uh, my time with. Uh, Ocean Studios because um, what happened was I started off doing uh, dubs as I mentioned and then I transitioned more into subtitles which they they seem to have there was a there was a point where there seemed to be much more subtitling work than um, than the dub work um, and so as a result I did get I got experience doing subtitles um, and then later on I was like oh I need work and what do I have that's a skill of this that's it um, and uh, but that w- I ended up going. Uh, and I wanted to find a way to use that as a skill. Um, and then there was a, there was an editor association of Canada meeting in Vancouver that I paid way too much to get a ticket for because they actually had a session on uh, subtitling and ed- editing. Mm. And it was, and that session was run by the um, he- one of the heads of line 21, uh, the closed captioning studio that I ended up working at. And, I went and it was very interesting. And then I approached afterwards and was like, yeah, 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 you know, like a really interested, uh, you know, I, I want to find out where to get more work for this because, you know, I do this. And she's like, oh, that's cool. Come and have coffee with me sometime and we'll chat. And the next thing I knew, I was, you know, I, I ended up getting hired and working for them for like, God, I think like five years or something, five yeah. or six. Uh, I've, I've, I, I'm terrible at remembering time, like uh, times, but I, I think I, I only, I only quit them to do full-time video game work back in like uh, I think two years ago. So um, they're line twenty-one. They're really good. Thumbs up. <laughs> most of the work that they did was it for broadcast or uh, for streaming closed captioning as well? Because we we've seen a kind of an I guess kind of an explosion in the need of closed captioning with all you know various streaming services or that or, or that whole uh, that whole 
area has kind of shifted, much like other things have. It was quite a bit of both. Like, I definitely remember there being a lot of interest in in sort of Netflix captions, um, particularly for Hallmark movies. Um, <clears throat> yes, which which were uh, I could go on. A Those are filmed near that. my house. <laughs> oh, I'll, oh. Yeah, no, I I I captured Rafa, a lot of yeah. I ha- I captured a lot of Hallmark movies. I have a lot of opinions, and I'll keep them off this thing because we don't want it to be two hours. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I uh, so I think I think there were you know uh, there was definitely a, a beginning to be like an understanding of yeah we need to do like digital um, captions as well. But I think the majority of the stuff I did uh, was for a broadcast. We actually did a lot of work, or c- did continue to do quite a lot of work uh, for. Um, uh, knowledge network which is one of the sort of um, educational channels here in bc um and uh, so you know so like my favorite stuff to caption was stuff you know there would be days i'd come in and be i'd be like what am i doing today and they'd be like we needed to caption this david attenborough like nature documentary and i'm like holy god i'm this is the best day ever because <laughs> <laughs> you know there'd be like no you know so so it's either wordless stuff of like uh, you know adorable animals or it's david attenborough you know like talking in this very soothing slow easy to caption way like the giant panda secretive elusive i'm just like this is the best job ever um and it was a really good job it's just that i like video games a bit more (laughs) sorry guys (laughs) um but uh yeah so mostly broadcast Uh, i know that there are Maybe this is, I think this is less the case these days, but I know that going back like 10 or 15 years, a lot of, there were different weight approaches of doing closed captioning. Um, mm-hmm. Like sometimes it seemed like they would be, you know, I, I know I've had closed captioning turn on, on some broadcasts in the past. It almost seemed like they were writing the captions as the the program was being broadcast. Is this, do you know if this is something that happens with scripted TV? I know they do it with live TV, but... Um, I mean, um, what, like, what, what, what's kind of the, uh, you know, how, how do those things work behind the scenes? Um, well, obviously, you know, I'm under NDA, yeah, uh, yeah. NDA, so I can't talk about all of it. But I can say that, um, you're, you're certainly right that live TV is always like scripted as it goes. Um, uh, I, I'm sure there are companies or, or, or closed captioning systems that might do the, the live, um, stuff because I've definitely seen some, very weird uh, captions come up on on stuff, um, but usually what would happen is that they would sort of give you know they would they would give a script that was formatted in a way that you would put it into a certain program. It would break it down line by line, and then you just kind of go through the whole thing, and um, you'd have to edit it for like for you know grammar and spelling and, and commas because sometimes those were not that great um and other time and then you would just sort of watch the whole show and basically just kind of um you know hit a button to sort of say okay display this caption at this time um so yeah we we were given the scripts and everything way before um broadcast so we didn't have to do anything live there's a a, a debate you hear uh now especially with things that have multiple language o- options of having subtitles for things that are originally not in English versus versus having closed captioning for those things when they're dubbed into English. Um, and like with a lot of, say, anime, Netflix will have subtitles for the Japanese version, but they won't have closed captioning on like the English dub. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, there's a very strong distinction between the function that subtitles play and the function that 
closed captioning, please. I want to know what your thoughts on that were. Um, I definitely think subtitles and ca- closed captions are, are, are sort of two different things. And, um, particularly as dubs have frankly, in, in many ways, continued to improve in quality and uh, it's not even so much improve in quality because I mean, there've always been good quality dubs. Um, I think it's that they are beginning to improve in terms of people's regard for them. Um, you know, dub used to be a dirty word, whereas now people will straight up say like, Oh, I love the dub of, you know, a Gretzko or whatever. Um, and actually, uh, so sp- speaking of a Gretzko, I was actually thinking about this. And funnily enough, I saw a tweet about it recently. Um, that's, that that's on my mind specifically about this. Um, it was saying about, um, and I'm sorry for whoever, uh, actually did the tweet. I don't remember your name, so I can't, uh, I can't, uh, attribute it to you. But they were basically saying there's this one line, they showed a screenshot from Agretzko where the subtitle of the original, uh, the original Japanese was something like, um, and don't you think it's sad, uh, that you're spending all your money on, uh, a, a virtual boyfriend? And the tweet was basically saying, Agretzko's dub is so good because they they rendered that as oh damn it I don't remember what the name the they did render it as but like they they had what they had whatever the dub line was and it was really good it was really funny I I kind of almost want to like you know find it um uh well anyway um and that's something that if you don't have the closed captions that people are going that people you know who are uh, who, you know, have hearing, are hearing impaired are, are going to miss that joke. I found the, uh, the picture. So, uh, the tweet. So it's, um, the, the tweet is by, uh, Vestinet, uh, and. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Yes. Um, so the original, the original, um, subtitles, uh, so the, the, the translation of the Japanese for Gretzko, uh, was, uh, spending your money on a bum like your virtual boyfriend isn't dull. Uh, like, as in, like, uh, as in, like, oh, and spending money on a bum like your virtual boyfriend isn't dull? Perfectly good, good line, but apparently what they, they, uh, they translated it as, uh, the, uh, it punches the lineup from Fenico up to example two. I don't think being sugar mama to a bunch of zeros and ones qualifies as self care. And I'm like, that's great. Oh my God. I wish I could come up with something that good. Um, so, so that's the sort of thing where it's like, it, like, absolutely, you know, have like, you know, you should have, uh, subtitles for, uh, Agretzko, but I feel like that's, like, that's a different enough twist on the script that, yeah, you should probably have closed captions for that, um, as well. Um, also just the fact of, like, so I, I, I will say another thing that actually does, um, really bug me at times, um, uh, so I've actually, so I've been experiencing almost the reverse problem in, of all things, the Final Fantasy VII remake. I swapped it to, uh, so I basically was like, I think I like the Japanese cast a bit. Oh uh, yeah, there's this this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, and I started, and I'm like, immediately, I'm like, these text things are not what they're saying in Japanese. I know enough Japanese to know that this is this yeah. is, you know, this is basically what they have written for the dub script. And the thing is, like, don't get me wrong, it's a very good dub script. And whenever I've swapped over to the dub, it's been like, yeah, this is great. But it's a very different kind of feel. And as a result, it's kind of like, yeah, no, closed cap, like, closed captioning, you know, what, what dub actors say and subtitling what the Japanese said, those are different 
scripts. And frankly, if you are having one, like, and if you start mixing and matching them, it's really distracting. <laughs> um, so I, like, I could, I could imagine, like, cause I, I quite often watch stuff with closed captioning on anyway, um, even, you know, in English, uh, just because, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm a bit distracted or, or, you know, my hearing's not that great. So yeah, like having the captions on is great. But like, if I was listening to the dub of a Gretzko while watching a completely different set of subtitles, like to a, like, the, like have phrased the jokes entirely differently, that would be so distracting. So, um, so yeah, no, I, I absolutely think that having, uh, closed caption of the dub is is definitely something that should be done one other thing that question that occurred to me uh with uh with doing closed captioning is the issue of people speaking foreign languages in something that is in english and how you approach it i was watching hannibal with the closed captioning on the other night and i noticed it was an episode that was set in italy and when characters were speaking italian they would um transcribe exactly what those characters were speaking like the actual italian in italian mm -hmm. uh whereas when characters were speaking i think romanian they just it was just written as foreign language um and mm -hmm. and, and i've heard i've seen some people who I, who i personally strongly disagree with saying that when you hear a foreign language uh in an english language production that that language should be translated i strongly disagree with that um especially if you you're not supposed to know what they're saying. But I want to know what your thoughts are on that specific kind of, um, when that kind of thing comes up with uh, closed captioning. What do, you, what do you think is the best approach? So, yeah, that's, I, I, I mean, again, I think it comes back to figuring out what the original intent was of the work and trying to go with that. So, like, if if the idea is, that, you know, hey, you know, these two people are speaking another language uh, and you're not supposed to be able to tell what they're saying, um, then, yeah, no, I don't think the closed captions should uh, translate it. Um, I, I don't remember doing... I don't remember doing much in the way of specific translation unless it, like, unless it was, like, intended um, or, or if it was... Um, I'm trying to remember. I think there may have been like a few documentaries or something where like, okay, this, this you want to, you know, translate. But usually like that should be made reasonably clear at the beginning of a project. Um, the, the thing that, that's kind of bugging me funnily enough is more what you were saying about like they completely translated the Italian, but then they just said speaking foreign language. Like there's a, there, I, I have iffiness of, of just like phrasing languages as like foreign languages because again, it kind of centers like, uh, you know, I, I understand what the idea is that it's like, well, it's not, you know, English, but like it kind of gets into this really icky thing of like there's there's English and then there's foreignness. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever I could, I did my best to actually figure out what like what language they were speaking and then say, you know, speaking Italian or speaking Romanian or speaking, you know, uh, Mandarin or, or something like that um, as much as I possibly could, um, because at least, you know, I, I think that 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 by itself is is probably um 
enough to do. Uh, the other thing that I suppose gets a bit awkward is if there's a lot of talking back and forth in that language, you might be like, okay, do I just say speaking Italian and then like have the caption go away and then like no, no captions appear on screen until they stop speaking Italian? Um, like speaking Italian what... dismissively, speaking Italian <laughs> aggressively, <laughs> or things like yeah, that. With, uh, yeah, yeah, with intent uh, behind other talking. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's. Uh, I think I did a little bit of that um, uh, back in the day, but but like we had to keep that to a you know reasonable minimum too, because of course then you're like, you know, are you introducing like interpretations that weren't intended? Blah blah blah. Um, but yeah, so I I sort of feel that uh, if the um, if it's not intended to be understood by the audience, maybe don't translate it, but just sort of say they're speaking, you know, this language or that language. Um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's my take. It's, it's very, I'll, I'll tell you one really <laughs> frustrating experience I had with subtitles I was watching the, the 2018 version of Suspiria on Amazon prime. Uh-huh. And so Amazon prime, uh, it is the worst streaming service. In my opinion, you, you would think that Amazon of all companies could invest in a functioning platform, but they do not. And, Suspiria, which they co-produced, um, a lot of the dialogue is in German, and we were watching it, and we noticed there were no subtitles that showed up at any mm-hmm. point. So we we kind of, you know, I you know, we just kind of assumed that you weren't supposed to understand what the German was, despite the fact that there was so much of it, and there was a lot of focus on what was seemed like was supposed to be dialogue in German. But just went untranslated. And after, I think we were like halfway through the movie, we we turned the subtitles on and we found that all the German was being translated in, or sorry, in, we turned the closed captioning on. Yeah. And we found that all the German was being translated in the closed captioning. Um, yeah. So you had to have the, and the you had to have the full closed captions on with like uh, you know with sound descriptions and and everything uh, just to understand that dialogue. And there was no option just for just for German subtitles when listening to the English language. And I thought that was uh, lazy and infuriating, especially for a film that this company co-produced. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that, that is. Um, so, I, I mean, interestingly enough, that was actually like one of the things we always had to do when we were closed captioning was the minute like text appeared at the bottom of the screen, uh, you know, like subtitles, you bounce that that caption up to the top and get it out of the way so that people can read the bottom. You'd have to put the cap the, the captions up top. Because you need, and that included for subtitles. Like if if something had subtitles, which we, like, and I did a lot of stuff that had subtitles because you know there were, um, you know there was there was sort of mixed language movies. Uh, there were a lot of uh, documentaries that had obviously like interviews with people um, in you know languages other than English. Um, and yeah, you got the closed captions out of the way. Uh, and frankly, if it was if it was like in this sort of case where it's like they're speaking, uh, they're not, they're speaking a language other than English, and it's and and you know usually that would be subtitled, and you just turn the captions off at that point. You might have one caption that says speaking German, and then you turn it off and let the subtitles do the work for you. Mm. So the fact that they didn't even have subtitles and they had it only on the closed caption, yeah, that's 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 not good. That that's not good. Unacceptable in my opinion. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I have thoughts. They're not good. <laughs> uh, to, to close off, let's um, 
let's just step back to what I think you did kind of between the, the timing with the timing I, I think you kind of did it between your work at Ocean and your work close captioning working on to- Tokusatsu Spider-Man um, you, you did the, the subtitles for that stream which was around yeah. that was around like 2009-ish I think yeah, that yeah. was actually with still with Ocean actually. Okay. okay. Um, or it was either with Ocean or like they had one of those like sort of sub companies under yeah, them. Yeah, uh, but yeah. yeah, but yeah, it was still it was still with Ocean. Um, yeah, no. Um, uh, I yes, I, that I did that work. That one was an interesting shift because like up to that point, of course, I had been very focused on you know in the dub scripts. Um, it was very much kind of I have to you know, again, do the translation, figure things out, make sure that, that things are, um, uh, you know, lip movements are fine, that this is fine. I've got to do a lot of rewriting of the entire sentence to make it, you know, sound more natural. None of, and whereas subtitle was pretty much immediately kind of like, nope, you, you keep the text almost the way it is. You maybe make a change if, if something like sounds really awkward or, or if it's going too long. Um, and then the focus was very much more on the timing, like basically going through the episode and being like, okay, at this point, this text needs to be on screen. At this point, this text needs to be on screen and dividing it up in a way so that like the one of the things that always drives me nuts uh for a lot of like captioning and uh subtitling is when like sentences will just kind of like drift like it'll be something like uh you know you fool you've activated my and then it like and then you have to wait for the next caption to be like trap card um (laughs) and uh so that was something that that like we actively tried to avoid that like every every subtitle should kind of you know obviously you might not be the whole sentence but it fit it should feel sort of somewhat like this is ending at a decent place for this sentence to end like on a comma or on a period or you know whatever um so i was doing a lot of that god that show was bonkers (laughs) that i man uh sorry i'm just i'm just suddenly remembering just like it that that show the the tokusatsu spider-man was just such a departure from every other spider-man franchise i've ever been exposed to and i'm not even that much of a spider-man fan i was just like so wait, it's Spider-Man, but there's a mech in it and like, you know, called Leopard on. What does a leopard have to do with Spider-Man? There's like a but there's like a bunch of Rita Repulsa rejects upstairs, you know, like it. Yeah. H- have you watched it? Oh, uh, yeah, I've seen some of it. And I, I think the best thing is that everyone always assumes that they gave Spider-Man a giant robot to make him like fit in with trends in Japan, but it was actually the first Tokusatsu series that had a giant robot. It started yeah. that trend. They they thought yes. Spider Man, like we to make Spider Man work in live action, let's give him a giant robot. This thing yep. you see in anime. Obviously, yep. that that's gonna that's the missing element here that will make this show work. And they were right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it, Apparently the 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 mech was destroyed after just a few episodes of the the production. They had to keep reusing footage of it, uh, though, which is um yeah led to it being even more bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and it was just like it was one of those interesting things where like it took you know because of course the 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 character of Spy you know it's not Peter Parker it's you know it's a Japanese uh, motorcyclist I think yeah. I forgot his name um and of course it was definitely one of those things where like oh and then he's got like you know a sister and a girlfriend and all of these people that you know don't know of his secret identity and so you know they're constantly thinking he's a layabout and I'm like 
like, but I can't describe it. It played in a very different way than like than than a lot of like secret identity drama does in uh you know in in Spider Man uh, like in in um Western Spider Man. I think to be fair, because most of the time when I've dealt with Spider Man in the past it hasn't really been a monster of the week format. Uh, like, you know, this was very much a monster of the week format where it's like, and today we're going off to, you know, like the pool and then there's a monster at the pool and the guy has to sneak ar- away from his girlfriend and sister at the pool while they're like, what's with that guy? You know, oh, he's totally undependable. Uh, you know, and so, so there was very much sort of like a formula that was, you know, lend itself to that just sort of constantly like, and this week we're going to be here um but it just but then there was like giant mechs <laughs> and did, did you coin the phrase emissary from hell uh for spider-man describing himself or was did that just kind of come I, I think that was i think that was part of the um i think that was part of the uh original script i would i don't <laughs> think i can i don't think i can claim that i i will say actually like i sorry i, I do want to take a step back and say like i you know we're sort of saying i'm like oh my god this is bonkers this is stupid it's like it, you know i i feel you know vaguely uncomfortable saying that because like of course you know it it was for a japanese audience it's like there there are cultural differences here um and you know probably it didn't it was not as you know quote-unquote bonkers or weird uh to that audience and i'm like and i'm really glad that they got you know enjoyment and that it you know did as well as it did it's just that from a from a perspective of knowing other Spider-Man franchise and seeing this interpretation of it, it's just so different that, yeah, it, it kind of... It, it kind I, of honestly, I, I think it's perfectly reasonable in a, in a broader sense of things to say that it's bonkers because it was weird and revolutionary when it aired in Japan, and it just gets... The further back you step, the the weirder it is as, like, a cultural artifact. I, I'd uh, love to know what some of, like, the, the, the reactions to it at the time were. Like, you know, was this, like, everybody was like, this is the best thing ever or were they like this is really weird what the hell um i'd l- love to know what the reactions were but hey on that on that note that also reminds me you worked with uh the emissaries of light cure white and cure black and the, the emissary from hell spider-man so <laughs> it's a, that, that that really rounds out your career <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. In, in in translation and or yeah. script adaptation and subtitling in an interesting in yeah, an interesting but- way <laughs> Yeah, now all I need to do is somehow get connected to, like, I don't know, a reboot of Deep Space Nine, and then I can be, you know, the actual emissary, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, my geek career will be complete. It's, it's good. Yeah. Um, so, Michelle, can you uh, talk a little about what you do now? Uh, with uh, with game, like your 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 current career with uh, with game writing. Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, as I said, I kind of I'm working as a uh, you know in this outsourcing studio, uh, Tail Spinners, and it's kind of um it's a lot of sort of freelance work. So uh, it, we've been um you know it's it's less you know it's not like I am working at say Blizzard or um or Bioware. Oh, I'd love to work at Bioware. Um, but uh, it, you know it's more they'll call us in for a particular project where they might need uh they might need something like um you know we've already got a script but it's not very good. We need someone to help us and we'll, you know, go in and help them and try and fix it. Um, there's other times when it will be like, no, we need some, like we're just starting the game from scratch. We need someone to help us workshop.
co-op this and and like help us come up with a story uh sometimes it's just like yeah we've got a general story we just need somebody to write the script um so every project is a little bit different um in terms of what i've been doing lately that i can that i'm allowed to talk about i worked on there is a game coming out uh for the playstation 5 called destruction all stars uh i uh which is sort of a uh i can't talk too much about it but it's in if you want to see it it's in the um it's in the PlayStation 5 like reveal trailer they did a couple months back. Um, I worked on that, uh, had a lot of fun. Uh, I recently did uh, editing and rewriting uh, for a game called uh, a, a 2D platformer called Ageless. Uh, I've done quite a lot of um, uh, sort of mobile visual novels, uh, you know, kind of like uh, I haven't worked for episodes, but like that type of thing, you know, so very like choice based visual novel uh, romance kind of stuff, um, as well as uh, quite, a, quite quite a burgeoning market for that. Over the last oh, few yeah. years, to say yeah, the least. for sure, for sure. Um, you know, I, I well, partly because people have realized like, wait a minute, like what? Wait, wait, you say that, you know. Uh, women like romance, the devil you say. Maybe we should get in on that, you know, just a little bit. Um, so, uh, which has been great to see. Um, although it's been interesting, like, obviously it's a sort of a, it's a bit of a wild west, uh, at the moment. Um, so I've been doing some work on that. I've released actually a couple, uh, interactive fiction on, uh, this, uh, platform called Sana, uh, which you can check out, uh, Bonds of the Ninja and the Tower of Shalot. Um, I also, I edited, if you can believe, a cat dating sim, which is not like not that kind of da- cat dating sim. I was, uh, it was a, uh, it was called Perfect Date, uh, where basically you you go to an island and there's a bunch of cats there and you befriend them, uh, and they needed an editor for that. Um, I've worked on a couple, of, I've, I've worked on a bunch of games that we're just not allowed to talk about and will never get released, which is always frustrating. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, oh, and of course I worked on a game called, uh, Everreach Project Eden, which is, uh, a 3D, uh, um, a third person, uh, shooter, uh, sci-fi shooter. It's basically what happens if, if, if you try to make Mass Effect on a budget, <laughs> which, which it's not quite as good as, as, as like old school Mass Effect, but it was a budget and it was, it was a really fun, you know, project to work on. So, um, yeah, um, I'm sure there's other credits to my name that I'm forgetting. Oh yeah. The other thing I do is I am actually, I do a lot of lecturing and sessions at uh, various game industry conferences about, um, sex in games and uh-huh. basically making it more um, sexy for a more diverse uh, audience uh, because one of my frustrations with uh, video games uh, uh, video discussions about sexualization in video games was that it was very much kind of focused on a very specific type of character the type of character that has bo- boobs um, and butt and is not wearing a lot and so much of the debate seemed to be like either no you shouldn't have them or yes you should have them or you know and I was yeah. like um Okay, that's that's all well and good. It's a discussion worth having, but the discussion I'm interested in is like why are we not talking about what other people would find attractive? Like for me, you know, yeah, I have I have opinions about sort of over-sexualized female characters, but the reason why I get t- ticked off is if I p- start playing a game and all the female characters are sexy, but none of the male characters are. Yeah. And then I'm like, this is, dude, you know, like, this, this, is, this is more or less my stance on, on that issue. I think, I think we, we need balance. 
Let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think there is still something to be said for like, there's a difference between sexualization versus objectification, and there's something to be said for like, well, historically, there's been more sexualization of women, and like, that's all conversations to have. But really, my, my, I'm a simple woman with simple needs. I want hot dudes in my game, um, and so, and that's one reason I love, you know, I love JRPGs so much because like, wow, there's a lot of hot dudes in video games. There's like Sephiroth and mm. Vincent and, you know, and, and Cloud and Barrett and all these like super hot dudes. Um, and they're just kind of there, you know? And, uh, so I actually really, when my career was just starting out, I was, um, I, I, I kind of was talking to my mentor at the time about this and, and, uh, saying, man, you know, I really wish someone would talk about this. Um, the, the, uh, the importance of making like attractive male characters as well. And he's like, you should pitch a talk on it. Oh, no, no, I haven't, I'm, you know, I'm nobody. Oh, to do it anyway. Um, he was on the, the, the board. So he, you know, was saying like, oh, look, I'll at least take a look at it. And, uh, yeah, they accepted the talk and I did it at a Apparently, was like one of the highest-rated um, uh, uh, talks at the narrative that the narrative summit at uh, the Game Developers Conference ever had. So I'm like, okay, apparently now my thing is talking about equal opportunity sex appeal. So I've ended up talking about like, uh, you know, how to write sex scenes and going into the real nitty-gritty. Like, let's talk about environment design um, because, of course, so much of game writing is not just writing the dialogue. It's things like, well, well, how does the gameplay tell the story? How does the environment tell the story? How does the level tell the story? Um, and so, you know, trying to, like, get people to think of it in those terms because, man, there are a lot of people that are really squirrely about talking about sex. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that that kind of creates the problem with the way the discourse is being set on that. And I, I think it's good to try and find ways to reframe these arguments about sexuality, because, you know, as 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 I'm sure you, you've noticed, the uh, the chuds, as we call them, are really positioning this idea that um, this idea that sexuality is being censored out of video games or the sexuality that that they like is being censored out of video games because, well, I mean, there's the whole thing with Sony shifting their, um, their, their kind of headquarters for gaming from Japan to the U S which has resulted in some changes and then, you know, some actual censorship, which, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely some, some issues there, but, uh, mm -hmm. those guys are, uh, you know, the, the alt-right crowd is, is really trying to seize on that and, uh, yeah. make this argument that they're being persecuted and that sex games are being scrubbed from or sexuality is being scrubbed from games and i think i think trying to to change the focus and change change the framing of the discussion uh, amidst all that is is really important exactly because like one of the reasons i i wanted i started talking about this and and i want to stress i am not the only person talking about this there are so many uh women mm -hmm. and uh, particularly queer uh critics and queer game devs that are have been basically yelling about this for ages i just got lucky enough to get given like a platform to talk about it um but the thing that always frustrates me is like this whole idea of like if you're a social justice warrior then clearly you hate sex yeah and i'm like as someone who is i might classify myself more as a social justice cleric but like it could aoe <laughs> heals for life um but you know i'm just like what on earth are you talking about? I'm the thirstiest person you will ever fucking meet. It's just that I'm thirsty for other things, dude. You know, like, um, so, you know, this, this, this idea that, and, and, and to be fair, 
I sometimes get this the other way going too. Like I will see, like I sometimes feel that this there's this feeling of okay, we need to be respectful. And therefore, we need to make sure that there isn't any sex in this game. And I'm like, that's like, that's not the takeaway. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm absolutely fine in saying that, like, yeah, there are probably sometimes that you might want to look at the way you're doing sex and be like, yeah, this is kind of hinky. Maybe we should not do that. Um, but, you know, it's more it's more a case of like, okay, who are you making the sex scene for? And are there ways to actually broaden it? So that it appeals to more people like um, so, you know, the, the, the my go to is always the difference between Witcher 2 and Witcher 3. There's a great sex scene in Witcher 2 where like and I mean, I like it, but it's so emblematic of the problem in that, like Tris gets naked and the camera starts panning up and down her body. And it's all like, look at this sexy naked woman with her sexiness. And then it sort of cuts back to Geralt while he's getting undressed and like the camera is like the other side of the room. He's like dancing around, trying to take his, his pants off, but he never actually takes his pants off. There isn't the same sort of like drooling adoration of his body that was for the, for, for Triss. If you then go into like, uh, you know, Witcher three, uh, it still has a little bit more of the, wow, there's a lot of naked women in this, but there, there seems to be much more an awareness of, Oh, 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 Geralt is hot. Oh, right. Geralt is hot. We should really like actually pay attention to that. Um, you know, that like the camera will actually like linger on the fact that he's like shirtless in bed for a while. And like, he'll kind of be, vaguely glistening and they get him in the tub and it's like yeah no this is way more what i'm looking for um so uh so yeah i i feel um you know it's not that it's not that like everything is good like it doesn't matter we shouldn't we shouldn't worry about sexualization at all because like there are historical issues in question but we also don't want to be like well sex is bad you know just 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 cut off the sex entirely it's like no 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 you know, again, we're here, we're horny as hell, we are totally thirsty, we are ready for sex, we're ready for hot characters, you're just not, like, you know, just not that specific type, you need to diversify out a bit, Um and again, like, one of the easiest ways to do it is like, okay, if you want to have a heterosexual sex scene, cool, make the dude hot too, I would like to see more games where I can see that decision ma- uh, process making happening, because, I see it for so many female characters, like, you know, like Aphrodite is like, oh, yeah, no, like somebody at the at this point said, I want to make her hot. You know, even if it's not a committee, somebody was just like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to make her so sexy. Um, and uh, and I want to get that same kind of energy for more male characters, uh, which is why I love Final Fantasy seven, because the the remake, because I started playing that and I started and I got through like mild spoiler for chapter two you know i'm going along and then suddenly sephiroth shows up and what's the first thing the camera does look straight at his bare chest and then pans up to his lips and i'm like yes this is the this is the hot man energy i was here i am here for um and i will say like actually you know bringing it back to anime like that was why i think that was a big part of why i did like anime so much that like yes like okay admittedly when i was into anime you didn't quite have as much of the lolly um kind of harem stuff that is very popular now but there was always that feeling like you know even when i was watching something 
that was probably, you know, like shonen intended for boys. There were characters in there that I was just like, damn, somebody had a lot of fun like designing that male character hats like you know hats off um you know like Gundam Wing like I never I was never like super into Gundam Wing but like I look at it and I'm like no 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 this feels like the sort of thing where somebody was like yes absolutely women might be watching our like you know or, or straight women might be watching our like sec our uh you know big mechs in space anime let's make some characters that actually appeal to them um and I, I, I find that energy like pops up quite a lot in anime as opposed to um, a lot of Western stuff. Maybe it's not anymore because, as I said, there's like there, there are some anime nowadays that I look at it. I'm like, OK, this is fine. I am clearly not the target audience. Um, but I feel like the idea like anime, the anime I used to love did a really good job of blurring the lines of target audiences and being like, yeah, no, everybody's going to be watching this. Let's have hot people that everybody will find hot. Um, and let's have storylines that everybody will enjoy. Um, and uh, I liked it. Yeah. So I know, I, mean, <laughs> I know you mentioned you kind of uh, fell out of anime more in the like late 2000s, early 2010s era. I will say that was when the, as you mentioned, like the harem shows were kind of at their peak because of the financial crisis. And um, they were really going for, you know, that audience at that time, because yeah. it was the most reliable. Uh, it's diversified a lot since then. Yeah. Um, and there's I mean, like, Free was awesome. Like, oh, yeah. I, I loved Free. Like, I like I, I want to stress, this is not me coming for your, you know, for, for the harem anime. I'm just like, yeah, well, that's fine. You know, whatever you like. But, but like, you know, when, but then when, like, it turned around and been like, oh, and now here's a reverse harem anime. Like, I love reverse harem animes. Like, I mean, I, I grew, like, Oh god, the amount of love I had for Fushiki Yugi was somewhat disturbing. Um <laughs> I know you mentioned you have a you're intimidated by the mountain backlog of anime that uh you potentially have to get into, but you know, when you when you start to to look through things, you can you can find what you want pretty easily every yeah. season. Uh I recommendation for you right now. Uh check out uh, My Next Life as a Villainess. Um yes, that's a, I a, try that out. It's yeah. a, the the bisexual harem anime. Uh, I think that is one that, that's probably that might be my strongest recommendation for you right now. Yeah. I can probably think of a few more after, and we can talk about that later. But um, yeah. we got we got to wrap up. Uh, Michelle, where can people find you uh, online or on social media? Uh, so I have a admittedly extremely inactive uh, Twitter account, uh, like at Michelle underscore Clough. Um, so you, you can certainly follow me there. At some point in my life, I might even start tweeting, you know, regularly again. Who knows? Um, you can also find me like sort of uh, professionally at uh, I've got a website, www.michelle-clough.com. Um, and uh, there's also uh, Tailspinners website is uh, tailspinners.co.uk I think I do have a Facebook but I barely ever use it and I probably would only uh, to be honest friend people that I know but um, but yeah uh, if you want to reach out to me on one of those uh, platforms uh, you'd be very welcome um, also my my email is michelle period clough at gmail.com um, so uh, I'm terrible at replying to emails so if I if you email me and I don't reply please don't think I'm being bitchy it's just me being uh, use, uh, remember the disorder organization thing yeah 
Great. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in to Zon in Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultra Clystron, and you can find that on his album Packet Flood, which you can find at ultraclystron.com. Uh, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcast app of choice is. Uh, I also have a coffee account at ko-fi.com slash zonincanada. Uh, it does cost money to run the show, and if you appreciate what I do, uh, you can always leave me a tip on that site. Uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and see you again. <laughs> <laughs>